In today's episode, we travel to the other side of the country to chat with Daniel Burton, who's the CEO and founder of Educated by Nature. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Gubby Gubby and the Cabby Cabby people. I would like to honour the songlines and storylines of this country and commit to our ongoing role as stewards to the land on which we work and play. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host today, Vicky Oliver, and I don't know about you, but we're finally starting to feel the change in seasons and one of the beautiful ways in which we like to celebrate is through song. So our in-house illustrator, Kerry, has been working really hard at bringing our autumn song sheets to life and we've just added these to the website. So we've had our summer ones on there for a little while. We've just added the autumn song sheets and this is a really beautiful resource that I personally used at my playgroups, um, sans the beautiful illustrations. Now they've got beautiful illustrations in there and it's the rhymes and songs that me and my girls have sung to celebrate the cooling weather over the years. Now, if this is something that you would love to get your hands on, you can head to our website, which is wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash shop to purchase your copy today. Honestly, they're so, so cute. But today on the podcast, I'm really excited because I get to chat with a person who has inspired so much of what we do here at Wildlings and their amazing nature immersion programs. So today I'm going to be introducing you to the CEO and co-founder of Educated by Nature, uh, Daniel Burton. So he started the business with his business partner, Trudy, and they've created a really unique program based in Perth. Honestly, encourage you to check them out on Instagram. But Daniel himself is a qualified teacher, much like Nikki and myself, but now considers himself more of a nature connection mentor. Uh, He's an advocate for connecting children with the natural world and following children's inbuilt sense of wonder and curiosity. And that's the vehicle that inspires their process for inquiry-based learning. So like us, he's passionate about empowering children and providing authentic opportunities for them to grow, you know, physically, mentally, socially, and emotionally. So let's get chatting to Daniel. Hey, Daniel, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Yeah, really well, Vicky. It's great to be here. It is. It's so good to speak to a fellow forest school. Or what do you guys call yourselves? Uh, We call ourselves nature educators or nature uh, nature connection mentors. Yeah, I love that. Um, There's so many different ways to describe the sort of work that we do. And so the first thing I wanted to ask you about is because you work with um, Trudy, that's right? Correct, yeah. Yeah. Trudy and I started Educated by Nature about seven years ago. Yeah, so can you tell us the story of how how you guys even met and then how you came together to start Educated by Nature? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, So uh, Trudy and I actually go back a long way. Um, We met um, at a a science education centre called SciTech over here in Western Australia Um, and we were both working there at the time Um, and, yeah, as uh, puppeteers, as science demonstrators, as... um, yeah, a whole lot of different uh, roles we played there. Um, and we met each other and, like, yeah, hit it off as as really good friends. Um, a few years later, uh, Trudy was working as a teacher at Bowl Park Community School, a nature 
Perth-based school, Reggio Emilia-inspired school here in Perth. Um, and I was finishing my teaching degree uh, and actually uh, applied to be an intern there. And we worked together at Bowl Park Community School. We worked in the same classroom for a year and then we taught in different classrooms. Fast forward a few years and we uh, came back together to teach a class of year four, five, sixes um, over the course of four years. Mm. Um, and in that time, we um, were challenged by our principal then, Gillian uh, McAuliffe, uh, the founder of Bowl Park Community School, to use an outdoor classroom for two days a week. So to actually wow. go outdoors, not use the indoor classroom and use this beautiful patch of trees at the end of the school that was um, a very prized play space for morning tea and lunch, but to see if we could utilize it as, a, as an outdoor classroom. That's um, so cool. Yeah, really, really cool. Um, daunting at first to think, oh, we, we wouldn't have the, the safety net of the four walls and the indoor classroom yeah. that we'd been using. Um, we'd been using nature as a, as a space to go to as a learning experience, but never as like 100% of the day learning environment. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit of a challenge, but working with the kids, it was just incredible. And what we saw was children came alive and we saw a completely mm. different side of the children in our class, um, children who were, who were living with and learning with difficulties, um, whether that be speech um, issues, um, developmental delay, uh, ADHD, autism, anxiety, uh, all of these things seem to melt away and become less of a barrier to them engaging with deep learning experiences when we took them outside. You know what? We do this work and I know these things, but it, t- it still gives me goosebumps when I hear stories like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and- <laughs> really. Like, and it's, it's pretty huge that you had someone driving from the top up. <laughs> yeah. Top down, yes. sorry. Because yep. otherwise, usually it's there's grassroots, you know, teachers trying to push this stuff through. Exactly. Um, but to get that permission from the outset, um, yep. that's pretty amazing. So, yeah. um, so you saw all these amazing changes in your students there. And mm-hmm. so what made you step away from like the formal education and then start a business? Yeah. Um, so I think we saw just the power and the, the amazing ability that nature has to connect children to themselves, to each other and to community and to nature mm. itself. Um, so we decided that we really wanted to, to share this experience and our passion for connecting with nature with a wider audience. We found that this was our core passion. This was our calling. So we stepped out of the classroom and set up Educated by Nature our initial passion was to get into schools and and help teachers do this, but that was tricky. Like it was back, it was back when the movement of nature education was just kicking off in Australia. Um, nature Play, uh, WA as an organisation, had just started, um, so it was like the movement was happening. Um, but what we ended up doing is starting nature play groups in in local yep. uh, bush bases first. That developed into our school holiday program that we run for six to 12 year olds after school clubs we started to do incursions and get um like one and a half hour opportunities to share with teachers and students in schools um and we've yeah now got to the point now where we're seeing um, principals administration and teachers really embracing what nature pedagogy looks like and what these opportunities can be and we're we're working in schools now to help change curriculum change programs change wow. pedagogy that's amazing and that's that's what needs to happen and I think they need to see it first which is the really hard part is to allow them to see it and then often when we're showing it you know when we when they're experiencing it 
it's hard in an hour and a half, yeah, to sort of Absolutely. give yeah. them that full experience because we, we often say, it's even with playgroups with little kids, is that yeah. often by the time we're at the two-hour mark, they're just kicking off. Mm, and yeah. so and then it's like oh guys we're finished now and they're like but hang on a minute like it's just started <laughs> so yeah. it's it, from from uh, an adult's perspective an hour and a half might seem like a long time but for children they actually really need a lot of time so do you want to talk about time as being that really important resource for children in developing that mm, nature connection absolutely yeah so I think time is key and we see the power of the experiences in nature when we give children time when um, we see children engaged in, I'm going to use inverted commas, I'm using my fingers here yeah. to do free uh, free play <laughs> yeah. because I think when we put the word free in front of play, well, play itself is free and I think play is the, the worst yeah. branded word, word in the world at the moment. Yeah. So play and time go hand in hand. Play needs opportunity, play needs time and play needs that permission mm. and what we're trying to do and what what we're seeing is when you give more time, when that permission is given to have freedom and space, play really transforms into that deep learning opportunity. And in an educational setting, when we see teachers giving time to play opportunities, they're then seeing the benefits from an academic point of view and they're identifying and they're witnessing how powerful the learning experiences can be. What do you think are the real highlights for educators to see? Like what are the marketing pinpoints, like the things that actually capture educators' attention? Because if we're, if we're being honest, it has to come from that lens. We can go deeper, but we sort of have to grab their attention straight away. But what do you think those things that they're witnessing are that, that really change their, their way of thinking? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, it comes down to engagement, motivation, and like excitement and passion for learning. We follow an educator from the UK, Juliet Robinson. Mm -hmm. Um, She talks about nature opportunities and learning outdoors as being an opportunity to engage with sticky learning. Um, And we love the, like the visual that that um, puts in the brain. Yeah. When we have learning experiences outside, um, they stick emotionally. Kids are going to remember the time when they were digging in sand and found a whole heap of like worms. Yeah. And that inspired a whole learning project about uh, the life cycle, about nature, about um, yeah, ecosystems. Those experiences when they're hands-on, when they're outdoors, when they're gritty, those are the learning experiences that are going to stick mm. no matter what age group. Yeah. I think that's it. You've really hit the nail on the head, head there. It's, And I think that, you know, coming from our lens as well, we're constantly saying that children will only remember the things that they want to remember anyway. And if you want them to, if that's your goal, which as educators that is, we want them to remember the things that they're being, (laughs) you know, inverted commas again, taught, um, that you can actually teach themselves if we give them or we can give them at least a starting point to engage in those things that really interest them or that just pop up naturally from being able to explore their environment. Yeah, absolutely. There's a saying out there at the moment that I've seen pop up on social media a lot saying uh, children won't remember their best day of television, mm. which I love as a comment, but it makes me question. And I, I wonder if today's generation of children, that the message behind that saying isn't actually correct, that if children are only getting opportunities to be indoors, to be engaged with technology and to be on a screen, will actually 
they are going to be their best days. Yeah. So we have a real responsibility as educators, as parents, as mentors, as aunties and uncles to make sure that we don't lose children's opportunity to have their best days being outdoors. That's right. And do you get those comments like, oh, you would all the time, this is my this is my best day ever. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, that's what we often yeah. say to people. Like, as a teacher, I never, I very rarely heard that. And if I did hear that in the yeah. classroom, it would be because we went somewhere amazing, wasn't at school. Mm-hmm. And we hear it all the time in our programs. And I'm guessing you yeah. hear the same. Yeah. And like it, I guess we need to be aware that we hear that comment so often in our programs that we don't get complacent with it, yes. that we still realise that actually these are the best days of the kids' lives. Well, mm. why? And mm. it drills down to the energy and the connection um, and the, the experience that they're having. And what we're doing is just providing opportunities for them to have the childhood that they really should have. That's right. Oh, you, yeah, so true. Um, and that would bring me to the role of your, the mentor. So mm-hmm. it's always an ongoing conversation about our role as educators or mentors, I think is a much better word. Um, That's something that I've noticed very strong in your messaging. Why do you think children need mentors and how how does nature support that? Yeah. So I think the role of mentor, and we use that term because it changes the, I guess, the approach that the adult or just uh, we have uh, teenagers who work as our our facilitators as well, Um, but the it changes the the role of the person approaching the situation. I've heard Professor Bill Lucas mention recently that we need to change schools from places of teaching to places of learning. Yeah. And when we take the role of teacher and we switch that to the role of mentor, what it is is it's it's about standing back. Mm-hmm. Children need us to engage less and allow them to speak and do more. Yeah. Because when we step in, we actually stop and we truncate the learning process. When we take kids outdoors, what we notice is that teachers have an opportunity to see their students in different light. When they stand back and they're not the ones doing the talking, they actually see and hear their children's capabilities, capacities, strengths um, and, and gifts even more so. Yeah, and their observations too. A lot of time we don't even have an opportunity for them to just make the observation themselves without them us implanting it into their brains first. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, us as adults, we talk a lot and we, we, yeah, I love that word implant. We Mm. give them the answers before they have the opportunity to actually explore themselves. Mm. And I guess when you step back from that and you realise that's what you're doing, it it feels, um, for me now, it would be very difficult to step back into the classroom, into that role. And even in some situations where I do have to do that, um, through like my homeschooling co-ops and stuff like mm-hmm. that, it does feel yep. very uncomfortable now. I, I find it really hard to be in that role because I know that it's not authentic for them, like that, yeah. you know, it, the focus is about me and how I can perform for them or how I can yeah. perform for other adults around, which often becomes that way. Um, yeah. Have you found you don't have adults attending or, or parents attending your programs? No. So our school holiday programs and our after-school programs are a child only zone so the only adults there are the facilitators that we um so us that we put a lot of training into Mm -hmm. um, and we're very strong about it being a drop and leave program because a child is completely different in a situation where there's not those extra adults and especially adults they know so their parents or um family members they get to shine in a different way so we're very strong on that and yeah it's it's really important that the adults in the space our facilitators understand 
that learning process, that play process and, and what space the children actually need to engage in. So you said you've got a couple of teenagers that um, you've now got working as mentors. How does that go? Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really wonderfully. So we were keen very early in the piece to to build our team of uh, a diverse range of people. So um, experiences, backgrounds, but also age. And when we're working with six to 12-year-olds, there's a different way that a 15 or 16-year-old interacts with those children than a 20, 30, 40-year-old does. Yeah. Um, so there's a playful energy. There's a, a different connection to um, current culture. Uh, so we're really, really strong on our, our passion that we actually need to embed a wide range of ages in our um, team yeah. so that the children coming to our programs experience lots of different ways to connect. And we've actually just started up a, a junior mentor program. So we've got a bunch of kids who have been coming to our programs for years and now they're <gasps> 13 that. or 14. Um, and they, so they're just outside the age range of our program now, but yeah. they still want to stay connected with our community. So they're coming back to be mentors and volunteers. And then I can already see from the last school holidays that a lot of them uh, will head towards becoming our, our junior facilitators and become a part of our staff. I love that so much. And I think that there is in society in general a real disconnect between our like younger age groups mm-hmm. and those tweens and teens um, yeah. because they are in that stage of life where they are, you know, growing up. Yeah. And they still, we still want to see them connected with those younger kids as well. Absolutely. And I think that's such a beautiful way of doing that because they can step into that role of being a mentor and someone that the children can look up to that's yeah. so much closer in age as well. I think that's so beautiful. Yeah. And then we also get to still mentor them. Yeah. Um, and it becomes almost a rites of passage. That um, that was my next is... question was about the rites of passage actually. So, yeah, it's funny that you say that. So do you want to talk a little bit about why rites of passage are important for children because you're pretty passionate about nature supporting that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been fortunate enough to do uh, two rounds of training and facilitation with Dr. Anna Rubenstein from the Rites of Passage Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he's really passionate about reintroducing rites of passage as a formal process in our society because we've lost that as an experience. Yes. Um, we've got a lot of uh, boys running around in men's bodies and a lot of girls running around in women's mm-hmm. bodies, um, and we don't honour the different stages of life as much as um, past cultures and past societies have. I'm a strong believer that even a day program during the school holidays a, camp, a school camp, um, an after-school experience outdoors can be a rites of passage opportunity. And what I mean by that is a rites of passage sits in a very specific framework. There's um, the separation is phase one, so that's where we separate from uh, our society or our group or our regular day-to-day operation. We have a challenge or there's a, there's a transformation that occurs and for a kid, that might be the first time they light a fire. Yeah. That might be um, using a tool in a different way, climbing a tree or actually just being away from their parents yeah. for a whole seven hours in a program yeah. on a school holidays. Um, or for a lot of the kids that come to our programs, it's actually just being outside for seven hours yeah, in a row. The challenge in itself, which is like heartbreaking. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so, and then the, um, the final phase of the rites of passage is a return. 
um, and it's the reintegration. So it's coming back to the family unit. It's coming back to society, but it's it's about coming back with the the people that surround you, understanding you've been through a transformation mm. and acknowledging that. So when children have experiences at camps, when they have opportunities where they come back after a whole day outside and they're like, that's the best day mm. of my life. The people that catch us when we come back, the people that are there to take us home, pick us up and take us back to our regular daily lives need to be aware of that transformation that's happened and acknowledge and hear those stories. So I think we have a really strong, um, well, a a big responsibility to make sure that those stories are captured and held and there's space to, to hear those stories and acknowledge that these kids are being through, even though it's only seven hours outdoors, it doesn't seem like much. They've been through a really awesome, new and exciting and challenging experience. I think that's a really beautiful space to be in and something that's been calling to me quite a fair bit is my eldest daughter. Um, She's nine and I just feel like she's, you know, starting. I've only got a few years left and I keep thinking about those really important rites of passage and, you know, and and also the scary parts of society that's thrown in there and Mm. and just having those really amazing mentors and close friendship groups that they can move through that with. So I think that that's a really amazing space to be in. All right, let's pivot a little bit. I'd like to know some of your biggest Mm -hmm. challenges in running your business. (laughs) I'm I'm sure there's a few. (laughs) Um, I think, well, we we touched on it at the start of the conversation um, about how simple play appears from the outside. So as an organisation, as a business our service is providing opportunities for kids to come and play. Yeah. It's so much more than that. And and you would know mm-hmm. that from the programs you run, like what is happening in the day and the planning and the, the preparation that goes on behind the oh, scenes yeah. is huge. But from the outside, it can appear to be actually just a day out playing. Yeah. And that word just comes into play a lot. And this happens with um, educators, with parents. Yeah, where we put that value on play mm. And actually how amazing and how deep the program takes the experience. Yeah. That's one of our biggest challenges. Yeah, I, I definitely find, um, you know, we've had a couple of underhanded comments like glorifying playing in the mud or, mm-hmm. you know, those yeah. sorts of comments. And um, it is really hard to encapsulate all of the things that, yeah. <laughs> that just playing in the mud is because yeah. it's so much more than that. Um, and if you don't yeah. have, if you don't hold value in those sorts of things, then you know, you're not going to capture the interest of those people, which yeah, you're going to do anyway. Exactly. But um, the more that we do it, the more people will see why it's so important Yeah, because you get those those people that are like, oh, my gosh, my child's a different child from coming to your program after three weeks, um, yeah. you know, like and, and they don't even realise that it can be stuff like, um, you know, they're, all, they're always falling over and banging into yeah. things and then all of a sudden we've just noticed that they're not falling over so much anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, um Funny you bring that up. I was uh, working with a group of uh, seven-year-olds the other day um, and we were sitting down on a tarp all together, sitting mm-hmm. down. And I looked over and this one girl had fallen over. And I looked over and I said, what happened? And she said, oh, I fell over. She had been sitting down <laughs> and she fell over. Yeah. So children, um, yeah, uh, so Angela Hanscom, um, an occupational yep. therapist, um, from the states, I'm sure you barefoot. know of her work, yep. barefoot and bal- yeah, balanced and barefoot. Um, so she talks about the the fact that we have so many um, physical issues going on 
with children these days because they haven't got opportunity to move their bodies and to use uh, and develop core strength and to, um, yeah, really see how their bodies work. So then we have children who are sitting down who fall over Mm. because they haven't got ways to engage their core. They haven't developed proprioception and an understanding of where their bodies are in space. So, yeah, just simply coordination, balance, core strength are outcomes of these opportunities to get outside. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, and when the parents have that comment, uh, like we've had several parents say, what have you done to my child? They're a different person. Yeah. There's a sparkle in their eye after your programs. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the things that make us go, yeah, we're doing Yeah. Right. And it's so hard to um, sometimes describe that to other people to, you know, yeah. and, and so they will engage like OTs or, or, and things like that. And actually, if you let them play outside, you, you'd probably get, <laughs> yeah. a, a, you know, a much, a less inexpensive, like a less expensive form of, of yeah. therapy for them. Um, and, you know, a really quick fix in some cases, not all, obviously. In some cases. Yeah. 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 Um, so let's talk about risky play then. I love saying to people, and I, I'm sure you're the same, that it's actually really mm. risky for children not to engage in risky play. Absolutely. So do you want to expand yeah. on that in your words? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. So, wow, where to start with this one? <laughs> no. This is a big one. Um, yeah, I think so the, the saying that we're a risk-averse society I think is an understatement. That's another reason why I think it's really important that we provide opportunities to have programs without parents there mm. because the uh, children feed off their parents' Um, reactions to situations and experiences Mm. so we have saws and hammers and drills um, and whittling tools much like you guys do at your programs and those things look scary from the outset and what we want children to do is have that level of awareness um, and it balances teeters on fear Mm -hmm. because with fear comes awareness so it's important that we provide children to have risky experiences and to feel what risky experiences look like. Yeah. We talk all the time that like they're saying better a broken bone than a broken spirit. Yeah. So we want children at childhood age to be experiencing risk and testing their boundaries, climbing that tree and working out how their body feels when they're up at that spot. Because when they get to 17 and get a license, they get behind a car and that's not the right time to be experiencing what risk feels oh, like. I feel that every bone in my body. Um, mm. And I don't think people have made that correlation. I think that sometimes it's it's hard for us to make that that link sometimes between what we're allowing our children to do and experience and how we talk to them at such a young age sets them up for the way that they experience the world when they're older or when they're teens. Um, but yeah. it's such an important one and um, it's really scary I think the number of, you know, when you're just having conversations with people and you hear about their early childhood or their younger childhood and then the crazy risky things that they do in their teens and you can <laughs> actually see how it's come about that way. Yeah. So I think it, it, that is really, really important. Um, what are some of your favourite things about working with children outdoors? Oh, uh, it's those aha moments, um, those, whoa, I didn't expect that to happen. Yeah. It's like the wonder of the natural world. We're super fortunate to run a bunch of our programs down on the edge of the Swan River Mm. and we have dolphins swim past quite regularly. Um, So they're outside and 
kids' faces when they see a dolphin pop out of the water is just magical. Yeah, that opportunity to go, whoa, I was not expecting to see a dolphin today um, is really cool. I think one of the other um, things that I love most about the work that we do is actually happened at a camp the other day. We share uh, and we put a lot of focus on the the role of gratitude Mm. um, and we we have a gratitude circle at the end of our programs and we we bring gratitude into the work that we do. Like what are we grateful for? What are we thankful for? And we ended a camp the other day with popcorn gratitude, a chance for the kids to share some things that they were grateful for um, about the past three days at camp. Us as mentors started it off and I guess set the tone for the level of gratitude that we were talking yep. about. And then it just was an explosion of beautiful sharing mm. that these year four students had and it wasn't just the the words of gratitude that the children were saying but it was the faces of the other children receiving that gratitude Aww. there were a couple of kids who actually ended up in tears of joy um and just that um being seen and being acknowledged so these are heart connection opportunities yeah. that we're seeing um so i just feel so grateful and fortunate myself that I get to sit in these spaces where where children are coming to the party as citizens, as community members, yeah. and they've got such um, incredible power to the words that they say, to their thoughts and ideas, um, and I yeah just feel really grateful that I get to work with children in these spaces. Oh, and the children are so lucky to have educators like or mentors, I should say. <laughs> like you over in Perth and and I'm so grateful to be able to see the work that you do and to like we're always learning you know from what you're doing and um we're so inspired by the work that you've done so thank you so much for the the space that you take up in the nature space world we are, are eternally grateful that people like you exist no oh, thanks Vicky. Oh, you're most welcome. I, I think it's so wonderful that um being on this journey of starting Educated by Nature and seeing the movement grow and seeing the opportunities that are out there and, yeah, organisations such as yourselves and, mm-hmm. and all the different um, people around Australia and the world and how this movement is growing, yeah. it fills me with such joy and, and hope for the generations that are existing now uh, and the changes that we can can have on the world. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Honestly, it has been so enlightening to listen to the work that you do you're welcome guys you know you're in the right industry when you're talking to other business owners and it gives you goosebumps honestly so much of that conversation with daniel just almost brought me to tears so i'm really honored to share this space with such amazing people so if you would like to check out educated by nature and their programs you can head to their website which is educatedbynature.com and they've also got this really cool uh, video blog series called campfire conversations and i if you'd love to hear more about their philosophy and, and the importance of the work they do i really recommend you check it out but today dear listeners i just want to thank you again for continuing to be here for our conversations If you have a recommendation for a topic or even a rad person that we could interview, please let us know. We also love seeing your reviews and your posts on Insta, so keep them coming. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, you can do that on your podcast platform of choice. 
And I'm going to ask one more thing, but if you want to, head to our website to sign up for our mailing list and that way you'll get updates on our programs, updates on shop items, any nature play related news. I know I've just asked a lot of you, but even if you just pick one of those things, it helps our business a lot to get the messaging out and for more people to experience the beauty that is nature play. And it's not just trivial, it's a very, very important part of children's childhood. So any ways that you can help us out is so greatly appreciated. And as always, we absolutely love doing this journey with you. So until next time, stay wild. Stay wild.